Welcome to Human with Resources, the human side of innovation. I'm your host, Doug Sandler. If you're looking to foster, manage, measure, and celebrate innovation, you've come to the right place. Let's get started right now. Before we get into our interview, I wanted to share a little more about Inusual. Inusual is building a professional community of innovative leaders, serving organizations to go from conventional to exceptional, coaching people to innovate. Inusual is in the market because innovation is difficult. We want people to have a creative and engaging job. We also, at Unusual, want to train people to stop reacting and start creating. They change their mindset from victim to responsible. And Unusual is building a corporate innovation school to help people and organizations become extraordinary. For more information, check out Unusual.net as a professional community of innovative leaders and Unusual.com for the rest of our corporate services. And now on to today's interview. Antisa Jensen is an emotional intelligence and human-centric innovation expert who guides leaders and coaches in evoking the genius in themselves and others. She has led emotional intelligence workshops from and with TEDx Copenhagen, interactive talks on the impact the unhealed human body has on the planet at international roundtables addressing climate change, and was a finalist with her talk on how knowledge is the opposite of innovation at the Nordic Business Forum Speaker Contest in, in 2019. Welcome, Antisa, to Human with Resources. Happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. How did you even get into the world of innovation to talk about innovation? And how is that something that you have been able to parlay into a actually a career? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I had a 12-year career in investment banking. And while I was there, one of the things that I experienced, which I think anyone who's ever been in the corporate world before um, has probably experienced, is a sort of perpetual recreation of the wheel and selling it off as a bright and shiny new idea that happens so often in the corporate world. And I, of course, you know, over 12 years of my, of my corporate career, I sort of watched that happen over and over again. And I naturally see patterns and I um, started to navigate and investigate what was actually going on that had it be that we couldn't come up with something truly new. You know, everyone would kind of be like, okay, well, we've been here before. It's the same thing in a new package. And at the same time, I was going through my own personal growth journey as, as one does. They hit their mid-30s and I think many people have a sort of existential crisis about why they're doing what they're doing at that age. And some embark on an entrepreneurial journey from there. That was certainly my, my story. And as I started going deep on my own path, one of the things I started to notice with myself is that uh, when I got out of my own way, I was coming up with ideas that weren't, that, that weren't anywhere. They, they, they were brand new, or at least they were things that you weren't really hearing about anywhere. I started experiencing it as a sort of biohacking of the mind, of the emotion and the emotional experience and really studying how it was working with me. And then as I transitioned into working as a coach, seeing it happen the same way with my clients. Rather than, you know, innovation's a super buzzy word these days. And, you know, if you look in the larger organizations, a lot of them are trying to find the most innovative startups. And there's, you know, in Copenhagen, they're really obsessed with it. Um, that's where I live. Um, and so they have these innovative teams all over the place. But again, it's, it's based on this idea of how do you sort of slightly change something that already exists. And one of the things that I noticed is that the people in my community and the clients that I was working with is that they were truly able to come up with something that didn't exist before by getting out of their own way and by allowing themselves to open and allow innovation to move through them. And that, that actually, like innovative ideas to move through them. And so instead of coming up with innovative technology, like the new Airbnb platform or the new Uber platform, which is how people often relate to innovation is they want, they want to be the next 
Tesla, or next PayPal, or whatever it is. Um, instead, making innovation be something that exists inside of our bodies. I love the term that you used, uh, biohacking, as it refers to as or relates to innovation. I think that that's uh, that's uh, right on point. Yeah. So help me for just a moment as a leader and someone that coaches leaders and you've been within organizations and you've been without organizations, uh, but as someone as a leader, how can you foster innovation within an organization? What is your opinion about how to make that happen? Inside corporate world, which is where I do a lot of my work, I have a very unpopular opinion here and that um, is telling leaders to forget everything that they know. And it's unpopular because, especially in corporate environments, and this is actually also true in a lot of entrepreneurial spaces, especially in the sort of fintech world and the, you know, the startup worlds where they're creating technology, is that there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of intellect um, and there's not a lot of creativity. And one of the things that I have found to be an essential tool in uh, true creation, which is, you know, innovation and creation are, are the same thing, is to get humble about what we think we know. For me, and I think for, for basically anyone, it's those moments where we realize that we don't have to know the answers, that we actually do learn something new. And that is what I tell leaders is, is you know, it's okay to not know everything. You don't actually need to have all the answers. And when you don't pretend like you do have the answers, the capacity for you to discover something new about yourself, someone else, or what you thought you didn't know comes up to the surface because that's that is effectively when you do get out of your own way. So as someone that guides leaders and someone that advises them, do you have any specific methodology that you use to encourage people to create these new ideas, new innovative ideas? One of the things that I do um, when I work with um, corporations, especially and with leaders, is I work with them on cultivating curiosity. So this um, you know, cultivating curiosity alone is, is a method that you can use as an individual. So, you know, in, in your audience, if you're an individual listening to this and you work in your own business and you don't have any, uh, any uh, business partners, you can cultivate curiosity with yourself because that's ultimately where it starts. Um, when we struggle to be curious with other people, um, it's usually because we're not very curious with ourselves. We don't question, we don't, we don't, um, dig deeper with ourselves. We sort of take our belief systems at face value and make decisions out of them without ever really questioning assumptions that we might be making about ourselves, about our lives, about the people around us. And curiosity ultimately starts with the individual. What people think um, is curiosity, for example, um, is actually often inquisitiveness, sometimes interrogation. And so I, what my personal experience is with the people that I work with is that They've never really been curious. They've never been taught to be curious. It's something they might have been when they were three years old. And by nature of childhood development in most Western families, curiosity is squashed by a need to know the answers because our parents don't ever entertain our curiosity. They answer our questions that we have. And so we are trained from a very young age to um, seek for answers rather than seek for more questions. Mm -hmm. And Excellent. That for, that for me is something that I'm always working with people at the very, very beginning of our work together is I teach them how to actually truly be curious. What further questions could you come up with? What's deeper? From your experience, uh, how much time should a team dedicate to innovate? Is it a separate uh, block of time on the calendar or is it something in your opinion that is ongoing and all time? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think that if you're talking to somebody who was running an organization, they would really want you to tell you that you could just like pull out 
you know, a weekend workshop or a Thursday, Friday team building, and then all of a sudden your team would become innovative. But no, you're right. It's the second one. You have to foster it. Um, I, I use the analogy, you know, if you're ultimately for me, and, and this is why I pair emotional intelligence with what I call human-centric innovation, is that true innovation comes when we actually allow ourselves to feel the full capacity and full range of emotional experiences in our bodies without the nervous system response that is pretty standard with people who um, are not used to feeling a lot. So it, yeah. sounds, it sounds like then it's something that would be, it's better, better put within an organization as an ongoing task rather than let's set aside 10% of our time or 20% of our time. At least that's what I'm hearing from you. In, in, yeah, and, and not an ongoing task, a way of being that's modeled throughout the organization. Um, Excellent. So, so people kind of might look at it as like this, okay, today I need to be innovative. No, it's actually just like being open-minded or vulnerable or empathic in the office. Innovative behavior has its own personality traits and, and behavioral character traits. I love how you, how you say it's a way of being. And from a leader's perspective, uh, what do you think the biggest innovation leadership challenge is, especially from someone that may be coming from an old school perspective where it was a time that we actually set aside for a specific period of time? Okay, it's innovation time, gang. Let's sit around the <laughs> conference table and talk. So what do you think is the biggest leadership challenge when it comes to innovation? I think the mindset right now is that there's just not enough time. And in most organizations, there's always sort of a nonstop cost-cutting initiative that people are having to contest with. There is a lack of um, foresight and understanding on what the ROI or the return on investment would be in investing time, energy, actual money into growing these traits in terms of time saved, particularly. So when you actually do the internal work in your organization, both as a, on a cultural level and on an individual level, teaching people how to get rid of the, uh, the entropy that gets created in the entire system of an organization when there's a lack of innovation or a lack of flow happening in, happening in an organization, a lot of people waste a lot of time and energy um, not being productive because, because they get blocked. And so we actually lose a lot of time that's not being measured in most organizations. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges that has people in a reactive state saying, we don't have time, we're too busy, we're hardly producing as it is. And the way around that is actually to invest somewhere different to get rid of that entropy that's getting in the way of the production happening. You mentioned something that I'd like to come back and, and just expand on a little bit. You were talking about ROI, and I want to expand a question out a little bit further than that. So speaking of ROI or metrics or even uh, key performance indicators, how do you even begin to measure innovation within organizations uh, that you have either advised, led, or been a part of? I measured and saved time, which, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I, I often answer questions like this with um, anecdotes. There, there's an article out there um, by, I think it's by Jeff Bezos about the way that he runs things at Amazon. And um, there's this idea, especially in large organizations, that data is king. And that if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. And you know, you, I think anybody who's watched Brene Brown's um, Power of Vulnerability TEDx talk has also heard her say that. Like it's kind of driven by the science world and the data and technology world that, that you need to be able to measure something. And one of the things that Amazon's done that is actually so innovative is they have gotten rid of their data and they've started using anecdotes or anecdotal information from their clients to find out what's working and what they don't know to measure. 
So one of the things that I think is really interesting about that particular case study is that if you send, if you're only um, deciding to, to measure certain things, like if you have a customer evaluation thing that you're survey that you're sending out to your customers and you only give them multiple choices and you give them five questions, you're not necessarily capturing the data that's important that would actually change the way that business operates. And so what's most valuable is to invest in a couple full-time employees who are calling up those customers and asking them, can you share a little bit about what your experience was, recording the anecdotal information and experience and actually drawing from that what's really going on underneath the surface that could actually be a complete game changer for where or for how a business makes decisions. And if you get enough of that you know, parallel anecdotal evidence, you could potentially drastically change the way a business is making their largest decisions and choosing their products and how they're offering them and the systems that they're running them through. And we get scarce in organizations. This is, this is particularly common with, with corporates. And, and I, I have a feeling that most of the people who are listening to this are going to be in the corporate space. And so um, I think that it's really important to see where we get scarce about time and then we make decisions out of lack of time because that intention only attracts a sort of a, you know, like attracts like, and you tend to actually attract back what you're looking for, which is, which is not enoughness. And um, it doesn't actually cover the full, the full picture. And with a, with a small investment of time, um, you can actually end up with a lot more information that is way more valuable than data ever could be. And so to answer that, that's sort of a roundabout way to say that, that not everything that we are working with actually has a scientific tool to measure, um, but it's something that everyone can feel. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Antisa. Yeah, go, go ahead, that's you. fine. Yeah, that's fine. Those that are looking for, to get more information about what Antisa does or how she does her job, uh, what would be really cool is to head over to her website. We'll make sure we put a link in the show notes. She has a free worksheet that's a free download that the, uh, will take you through the process of breaking through some of your limiting beliefs. Uh, help you understand a little bit more about uh, innovation as well. We're going to take a, uh, a brief pause from our interview with Antisa Jensen for just a moment and check out the unusual.com blog spotlight of the week back in just a moment. Five characteristics that define successful innovators. While there is no consensus when it comes to what makes a successful innovator, a certain degree of creativity is a requirement, that's for sure. But the exact characteristics can vary from industry to industry, person to person. Here are five ingredients we think make for a successful innovator. One, sensing opportunity. As it so happens, successful innovators have a knack for identifying gaps in the market they operate in. Two, proper training and education. Contrary to popular belief in a few successful examples, college dropouts do not make for great innovators. Well-trained experts with formal education, years of training, and experience do, however. 3. Proactivity and persistence. It would only make sense that these two qualities taken together would make it to this list. As we've said before, creativity will only turn into innovation through execution. 4. Prudence. Another trait strongly linked to experience is prudence. Even though we like to think of innovators as risk takers, in reality, they are the exact opposite. And five, emotional intelligence. At times, innovators are portrayed as individualistic geniuses and independent spirits that come up with all sorts of revolutionary ideas on their own. For more information and details about today's unusual.com blog spotlight, click the link in the show notes. And now back to our interview 
with Antisa. Now, when we left you, we were talking about uh, how to measure ROI, some key metrics and KPI. I want to talk about the, the, the positive side of innovation, and that would be, uh, I mean, there's many positive sides, but one of the positive sides is actually the, actually the celebration of innovation within an organization. What have you seen or what have you heard of or what a- anecdotal evidence, I know that you like the, uh, the, to, to tell a, a story when it comes to it, um, that, that organizations use to celebrate innovation within their, uh, within their organization? Have you seen anything that would be uh, a positive outcome when it comes to celebration? I, I see it um, probably not as much as I think that I would like to. You see it in small areas. You can really tell what people are prioritizing right now. And of course, I think that it's, it's worth it to just um, have a little disclaimer that, that my uh, connection to the corporate world now is, is both coming in as an emotional intelligence teacher and teaching human-centric innovation and all the things that come with that, but also um, my, my social connections to the corporate world here where uh, technology is really, like fintech especially, is really running the show. And I think that's also true in California. I just don't know, that as, as, don't know as much about it over there in, in Silicon Valley, but I mean, Silicon Valley is kind of the, the core of everything these days. So um, what I see here is that there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of um, racing to be the person who gets ahead because this, there's this idea that if you get into quantum speed that no one will ever be able to catch up with you and you'll be the leader and untouchable until the end of time. And so while, yes, I do think innovation is absolutely being celebrated in a lot of ways, I also see that outside and sort of the extensions of an organization that um, there are lots of lost opportunities in organizations where innovation could have been fostered and doesn't, and it doesn't get celebrated because of what we just talked about right before the break of um, there not being enough time to really explore an idea that someone has. And that stuff gets squashed in the lower ends of an organization. And then, you know, they try to compartmentalize innovation, put it in an organization, treat it like a startup, but within five to six months, everyone in that organization is, is subject to the same group th- think mindset that the entire organization is. And so it, it's what I'm seeing now about a year and a half into that transition in Denmark's um, yeah, cultural environment is that they're not actually getting anywhere with it. And those startup and innovation teams are starting to get absorbed into the organization or absorbed into the organization again. Like they're, they're trying to come up with something new again because it ended up being a money cost and, and not actually producing a lot. What do you see as a challenge for an innovative leader to inspire? And inspire is the key word here. How do you inspire and what are the challenges to inspiring your team to actually innovate? This is such a good question. Um, and I think that this really gets down to the core of what leadership is. A lot of people go into leadership thinking that their only job is to inspire and to um, be a kind of a cheerleader for their team. And leadership really truly is so much more than that. And I know Harvard Business Review writes a lot about this, but what I see as being a really, really necessary tool and part of what I teach when I work with my clients on an individual level is that there isn't enough true coaching happening with uh, leadership teams. They, They think being an inspirational storyteller and Um, motivational speaker is enough to be a really good leader, but um, actual coaching skill is, is kind of the way um, because you can't actually teach someone to embody this themselves by telling them how to do it 
you have to teach them by using curious questions, um, by giving your presence, which a lot of leaders don't do. They, they don't usually, they're not very visible in the organization and they're usually not very present when they are visible because they're usually going from one thing to the next. Um, and as a result, uh, there isn't an opportunity for them to really be inspiring either. But I say inspiring is a symptom and a byproduct of a much deeper thing, which is the embodiment of it yourself. You know, there's leaders need to actually do their own work in order to really have the ripple effect that they have the capacity to have and the ability to have, but are not currently potentiating. So in your opinion, what do you see as the, is the future of, of innovation? Is the attitude innovate or fade away or is it something else? Um, I do. I actually think that that is, <laughs> that's, uh, I think that that's actually what's going to happen. I think that companies that actually learn how to shift and how to recreate themselves and how to actually, um, you know, there's this idea. And I think you, you kind of mentioned this earlier on in, in our, in our conversation that you can compartmentalize um, the innovation process and kind of like, you know, pick a few days out of the year to go do an innovation thing. It's the same with transformation. And my perspective on it is that things like innovation, things like transformation, things like change are constant. They are, um, they, they are an inherent part of being a human being. And a lot of um, the culture in organizations that are, that are relatively large is that um, you know, there's some external sense of security and things don't change and you have these fixed job titles and you have this secure um, work-life balance. You know, in some cases, it's not so secure. And we have this idea that nothing will ever change. And continuing to recreate that construct is actually really energetically taxing to an organization and to the culture and to the people who are in it. And I think that there will ultimately be a time when large organizations combust because they can't actually continue to sustain the, um, the entropy that gets created by there being such dissonance between what's actually happening in reality and what people are trying to maintain as a facade of what's actually going on. I just think that there's a lot of facade happening in organizations and that needs to get torn down in order for innovation and transformation to actually happen. So Antisa, I know that you've had an opportunity to work with uh, innovative leaders of many large organizations. And do you see a common bond, a common characteristic that all of these innovative leaders have that you'd like to share with our human with resources audience? Yeah, I would say that the common denominator with the people who are the most successful are the ones who've really embraced their humanity. Um, it really, it really is that simple. I think that um, we started treating ourselves as robots and computers along with the development of the digital era and Facebook and AI. And I think that's a, that's a shame. Um, and I think the people who are, I see the people who are the most successful are the ones who are willing to um, embrace their humanity with a lot of humility. Um, and, you know, a fun side, and this kind of ties into the work that I do um, with the roundtable I'm involved with around climate change is that the word human um, comes from the word, the Latin word humus, which means of the earth. And um, we have evolved in a Western culture to kind of see ourselves as occupants of the earth and inhabitants of the earth, but not extensions of it. And, and the reality is, is that we are extensions of the earth and we are uh, connected to, to nature. And we've created this bubble that we think we live in that you know we think our minds operate like computers we even talk to ourselves as though we're computers we get downloads and upgrades in our own bodies and and it's happening so so subtly but it's happening very quickly 
And when we remember that we're human and we don't have to be perfect and that we don't know all the answers and we can allow ourselves to have that experience and not tear ourselves apart in shame and judgment about it, that's actually when the magic starts to happen. That's really where freedom happens. And it sounds so perfect because an innovative leader has all of those qualities also for their team. They allow them to be imperfect. They allow them to share their their experiences. They allow them to share all of the things that are important to them without any level of judgment at all. And doesn't that really, or isn't that really what fosters innovation to begin with? Yeah. And a happy employee who's actually going to go above and beyond the call of duty and create in powerful ways, you know, like if you have someone who has full permission to be themselves and bring all of their value to this to the table and not just the fraction of it that they were hired for, that's what ultimately any company wants. Totally so, agree. Yeah. Totally agree. And Tisa, if someone was interested in our community of getting a little bit more information about what you do, uh, what would be the best way to to do that? Well, so I'll say, um, you know, a lot of the, I do individual coaching. If I, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this and you want to learn how to be more innovative in your own work, um, one of the things that I think is particularly unique about me is that I have set my business up to constantly transform with me. Um, it's, it's one of the things that I'm quite known for. And I also coach people on how to coach. Um, I also work with teams on what I call the practicalities of transcendence. And so, you know, in my philosophy, uh, expansion and change and transformation and innovation are actually our birthright. They are things that happen very naturally so long as we don't obstruct the process. And what actually needs to happen is you need to be set up with practices and tools and resources in order to actually allow these things to happen so that innovation can just move through us and we can actually become that way. And so um, if you are in an organization, if you work on a team where you think that this would be really valuable for you. Um, I do virtual workshops. I also am happy to travel, even though I live in Copenhagen. Um, and I, I work all over Europe and the United States. And so you can find me on my websites. I have uh, two. <laughs> um, one is antisajensen.com. Um, and that's where the, uh, the worksheet that was mentioned earlier is. And the other is adventureawake.com, where I have more information about um, curated experiences where you can actually do an offsite um, with me. So if you wanted to come on a, on a trip and us to work on it and compartmentalize it the way that the old school people did, um, that's also an option. So. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Antisa Jensen, thank you so much for being on Human with Resources. We appreciate your message, your inspiration, and your innovation as well in, uh, in making your message known here on Human with Resources today. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We also invite you as you're listening to this to click the links in the show notes as we also have a Spanish version of this podcast. Check out inusual.net as a professional community of innovative leaders and inusual.com for the rest of our corporate services. Thanks to Antisa Jensen for being on the show. All information, including links to Antisa's website, will, uh, will be in the show notes as well. Thanks again for being here. My name is Doug Sandler. Thanks for listening to Human with Resources, the human side of innovation. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, check out our website and important links from today's show in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you right here next time on Human with Resources. Human with Resources.